Welcome to Software Social. I'm Colleen, and this week, Michelle and I discuss my progress getting my first product, a file uploading widget, to 100 users. Why 100? Because I'm going to sell it in the Heroku add-on store, and I need 100 users before I can start charging. We also do a deep dive into what makes a good customer interview, and Michelle gets really excited about something called prospect theory. Enjoy the show. So I'm excited to share my numbers with you this week. Um, for the past couple weeks, for those that are new, I have been sharing with Michelle the numbers of sign up, the number of signups I have for my new widget, Simple File Upload. And as of this morning, I have 47 active signups. Oh, it was like 31 yeah. last time, right? Yeah. So I really think using this marketing channel of the Heroku add-on store has been tremendous for me. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm super pumped. So it's interesting though, because when I first looked on, when I first signed on to my admin dashboard, it said 75 teams, but then I have to cross-reference that with the people who have deprovisioned or kind of like ditched it. Um, so I'm still seeing a lot of people click the button to sign up and then deprovision the add-on, but still 47 isn't bad. Um, I'm pretty pumped about that. That's almost halfway to my hundred I need to get to actually make it a viable product. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good news. Um, I, and I also spoke with someone who has a really successful add-on in the marketplace and he showed me this somewhat convoluted way where I can get the user's email address, even if they haven't gone through the single sign-on process that I've mentioned in the past. So um, something I want to set up this week is I want to set up a wrapper so I can get the person's email address as soon as they provision the app and send them an email right away to see, you know, if they're having any trouble setting it up. I think, I, I think that's where I'm losing people, but um, not that many people are communicating with me. So that's my best guess right now. So you said 47 current signups. Yeah. Or cur current, current users. So, and then, so that's 16 new people since last time we talked. Do you have a sense for like how many of those have, have gotten to that, that crucial single sign on step and like have, have actually added it to? Yes. So of those 47, 34 have actually gone through the single sign on. So 34 might actually want to use it for real is how I look at that. Only 16 have actually started uploading images or not, I shouldn't say images, files. So there's a pretty big gap between showing intent and actually using it. So I really want to work on closing that gap. Yeah. And, I, and it kind of makes sense to me that there would be a gap for that when in order to see how it works, people have to install it first versus services that you can see whether it works first and then sign up for it would have a lower drop off uh, in, in that conversion. Exactly. One of the things I want to do, I have a long list of things I want to do, but um, they're all small, but they are, there is quite a long list. I want to put, because the Heroku documentation has to be formatted in this really specific way to comply with the Heroku requirements. Once you single sign on, I have the documentation in what I consider to be a much more user-friendly format. So one of the things I want to do is on my normal marketing site, I want to add the user-friendly documentation so someone can see the documentation be 
before they install the add-on to see if it's a good fit. Cause I know I'm someone, if I want to install like a piece of software, I want to see your docs first. Cause I want to see how good they are and I want to see how hard it really is and how it actually works. Yeah. I, that makes sense to me. I also in, in very like, I haven't taken Amy Hoy's course, but like in very, I have, you know, I subscribe to her email list in very Amy Hoy fashion. As we've discussed, I launched this with a lot, without a lot of boilerplate things. And one of the boilerplate things I didn't have is I don't have transactional email set up, which means what I've been doing is every night I've been signing onto my admin dashboard, copying the email addresses of people who signed up to an Excel sheet, literally emailing each person one by one from my support account in Gmail. So in the beginning, that was not too cumbersome. It enabled me to see exactly where they were in the process. Like, um, have they added files? Have they not? Have they added a lot of files? And kind of customize the email, but now that's getting way too cumbersome and time consuming. So one of the things I really need to get set up this week is transactional email. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't even take that long. It's, I'm somewhat like, I do it all the time. It's just, I find it very mundane because it's a very boilerplate thing, but it's such a, it's not such a pain, but it's kind of a pain, right? And, uh, and so I tend to procrastinate the boring things, like, like maybe most people, um, I'm like, oh, I want to work on this, this, this other feature. That's going to be so great instead of set up transactional email, but I'm losing people, right? Cause if I don't email, if you sign up and I don't email you for 24 hours, like you're past, you're over it. You have already made that decision. Like your, your mo when you think of like a human motivation, at least for me, if I want something, I want it right now. <laughs> so if I sign up for your software, it's because I want to use it right now. So if I can't figure. So is this the welcome email? Yeah, there's no welcome email. That you're like, this says like, here's the documentation. Yeah, yeah. Here's what you've signed up for. Like, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that could help. Like I know our, or like, I don't think we had welcome emails to start. And we also, I think we manually emailed everybody who signed up. Um, but it was so good for feedback. Like that early feedback was really critical for us. And it was part like, hey, here's your documentation, but also like, let us know if you have any questions about getting set up or if there was, you know, if there's anything else you're hoping that we do that we don't like, let us know and we can see if we can add it. Yeah, that's exactly where I am. Um, so basically not even a well, I mean, it would be a welcome email, but I want to get that as soon as they sign up, I want to fire off that email. Like, here's how you contact me. Here's how I can help you. Let me know what you need. Let's, let's do this. And yeah, hopefully I'll get, I'll get more engagement. Um, if I catch people early in the process of provisioning the add-on. Yeah. That, I, I think that sounds like a, a plan. Yeah. Okay. Good plan. Um, <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the people I've talked with. I mentioned that I've been doing customer interviews, which has been super fun. I'm really enjoying it. So I did a walkthrough with a friend who's a UI UX designer, like a very senior designer. And he gave me some tips that I really took to heart and I thought they were great. And so actually this week was mostly all technical stuff. This week, um, when I worked on simple file upload, I was, I was kind of heads down trying to implement some new features that I really think are going to be great for the product. I believe I mentioned last week that I'm implementing the ability for the user to change the color and the text color, the background color, the border color. I also am going to allow the user to add their own custom icon so they can completely customize the look of this. 
and I'm going to allow them to add their own custom classes right in the dashboard. So I think that's going to be a really nice feature change. I'm actually done with that, but I haven't pushed it to production yet. And also, I'm really kind of excited about this next one. It's going to auto-populate the drop zone preview box with whatever image you have saved in your database. So I'm excited about that one because... I um, really wanted that. I think I mentioned that, that I was doing this thing where I used it, where it's like you show the image, then you click a button to open the drop zone. And I really didn't like that. It felt kind of clunky. So I'm really happy to have this preview feature, which I just got that one done. Again, I haven't pushed it out to production yet, but I'm pumped that, um, that that's working and I'm excited about that. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. So, so lots of like technical work, just trying to make the product a little bit better before I really do a big marketing push. I do want, like I am still doing the marketing study, um, but I have not spent any time on my marketing site because I've just been trying to get these features out. I also spoke with another interview I did with, with a front end developer and he was pretty jazzed about it because you don't have to do any background configuration. So as a front end developer, he can completely allow his users to upload files and access those files and he doesn't have to do anything on the back end. So it made me think if I'm going to niche this down further, which I might, I might do like the front end developer community uh, might be where I want to be. I'm really excited to hear that you are enjoying these conversations. I think a lot of people have fear around talking to customers, whether that's fear that they're going to say something negative about your product or simply fear that you're not going to know what to, to say to them and it's going to be awkward. And so it's it's really encouraging to hear that, that you're enjoying it. And I'm curious if you can like talk more about how you have approached those conversations. Okay. So the first thing I have to say is of all the people I've talked to, only one person has been excited about it. Everyone else is kind of like pointing out stuff. <laughs> so it hasn't been all positive feedback, but the people who are pointing out stuff are trying to help. They're not, you know, they're not being yeah, jerks. It's helpful. Like, I mean, if you talk to someone and they're like, they say everything is amazing and, and, and perfect, and then they don't actually give you anything to work on. It's kind of like, well, that made me feel good, but it didn't really help me do anything. But I mean, it sounds like you're getting a lot of productive feedback out of these conversations. I totally am. I totally am. And um, yeah, but it has been like not exactly affirming. And to your point, I think we talked about this weeks ago. You don't want your your customers to just tell you everything's perfect unless it really is. And where I am, it's definitely not perfect. So I have really appreciated everyone giving me like really honest feedback. I've I've tried to approach these conversations kind of like I think I talked about last week, it's nice to have a starting point. Like I've been able to reach a lot more people because now I have something very specific I'm trying to share with them. Whereas in the idea generation phase, you don't even have, when you're just trying to come up with ideas, the customer interviews are really hard at that point because you don't even have a process identified that you're trying to solve. So you're trying to walk these people through their day and and hone in on a process that they might not even know they're struggling with. And that's that's nearly impossible is what I found. Whereas now that I actually have a product and I'm looking at this very specific thing, people have been much more generous with their time and much more generous with their feedback, um, telling me about what they do, what they have done, what they want. And so I really think that's 
that's helping my customer interview skills. That being said, I get really excited. Like, you know that maybe listeners of the podcast have noticed that sometimes I'm literally like sitting on my hands so I don't interrupt someone with my excitement. So <laughs> that I don't know why that works, but I'm like, Colleen, just be quiet. Let them talk. Let them talk. Let them talk. So sometimes that's what's going on in my head. So for me, tempering my excitement and my desire to agree with them has been a little challenging. That totally makes sense. And, you know, when I'm coaching people on on doing interviews, that's always one of the things that comes up so common is that if somebody says something, whether you agree with it or disagree with it, you can't jump in and share your own perspective because in order to get someone to be as open with you as possible, you need to hold back all of your thoughts about what they're saying, both enthusiastic ones and disagreement. Um, and I find that one of the hardest things for for founders when they're doing interviews is when somebody says something is broken or that it doesn't work right or that they expected it to work a different way to, um, to, to be able to say, oh, that's interesting. Can you tell me how you expected it to work? Rather than saying, well, the reason why is I built it like this and I did that and then I couldn't do it this way. And then and then so eventually that's how we got around to this way. Um, but uh, really avoiding doing that second part. And so I'm curious if you have found yourself uh, falling into that when uh, people people are pointing things out. So I tend to agree, but I think I agree a little too enthusiastically. For example, if you said to me, wow, Colleen, this is cool, but I really need it to have this styling. I'm someone who's going to be like, yes, that's a great idea. Like literally that's how excited I will be on the call with you. Like I'm like, yes, that's a great idea. And then you who have, you know, these people have never met me in real life. They have like no context on me. I probably terrify them. They're probably like, okay, (laughs) calm down. So I think that I tend to get really excited and I tend to agree. So far, everything people have said to me is really good and they're right. And it was actually affirming something I had already kind of knew was a thing, but in the in the effort to actually ship, as we've discussed, I didn't implement all these other features. So, so my challenge, so yes, I'm falling into that trap of like being overly agreeing, And so my challenge and what I'm trying to work on in future customer interviews is to listen and take in their feedback, but go one step more. So let's say, for example, someone said to me, hey, this is great. I am a designer. I need to upload these super huge files because we need these files to be, you know, five gigs. They weren't five. They were like two gigs. They're huge files. And so I, my response to that was like, yes, that's exactly what I was thinking of when I built this. It's for people like you who need these huge files. And what maybe I could have done better would have been to get some more context. I could have been like, okay, I forgot to ask him what he's doing now. Like that's kind of critical. So I didn't ask him what he's doing now. I didn't ask him what, you know, impediments he has for what he's doing now. But contrast that with another person I talked to, and this other person wants something totally different. He is like, I'm using these for images, so I want to be able to resize and crop and use all the image magic stuff on these images. And when he was saying that, I thought, 
yeah, that would be great if I, if I did that. But these two things are directly in conflict, right? I can't pre pre optimize your images and give you full image sizes. I mean, you wouldn't, if you don't, you know, these two people wanted different things. And so, but I loved both of their ideas. So I don't know if I made any progress there. I think you did because you identified some things that you might do differently in future interviews. And it struck out to me that you said that when you were responding to what someone said and you responded with all of this enthusiasm for them, you did not dig deeper into their process. And and so you just told me about those two different types of, of feedback. But what I didn't hear was why do they need that in the first place? What is their broader goal they're trying to accomplish? What is the process? What kind of context is this in? Are they building client websites? Are they building somebody else's websites? Like what kind of websites are they? Like like really, really digging more into what it is they are doing. Um, and, you know, it strikes me, there's a, I have a favorite book about interviewing. One, I have several favorite books about interviewing, but one in particular, I don't know if I've ever recommended to you, is called Practical Empathy by Indy Young. Have I ever recommended that to you? I don't think so. Is as much a book about how to interview people and how to pull these things out of them. But it's also very useful for being in meetings or, or talking to, to friends or family in general of, of really trying to understand what someone is saying, what they're experiencing, and, and, and putting yourself uh, in their shoes um, to understand how the world looks from their perspective. It's such a good book. I just reread it last summer and I found myself just constantly underlining and and nodding as I was reading it and just, you know, one of those books you read and you're like, yes, yes, like agree with everything she's saying. Um, such a good book. Um, it's, I, I think it would be amazing if, you know, every founder read that, read that book, read Practical Empathy. It just gives you tools to conduct interviews and meetings and everything else sort of in general in in a way that really helps you understand why people are asking for things and how to figure out what that context is that drives them to have these feature requests so then you can understand how those things fit together and how to prioritize them well that sounds like a wonderful book and I think I'm getting to the end of story brand so I think maybe that will be my next book that I read and share about on the podcast. Do we want to do a little bit of story brand then? Sure. Let's let's jump into this week. So I am on the chapter after calls to action. And this chapter is that helps them avoid failure. And the principle, each chapter has this principle that the story brand author is trying to get across, is that every human being is trying to avoid a tragic ending. The kind of the, the way this is framed in a marketing context is he talks about you need to identify what the customer will lose if they don't buy your product. If there are no stakes, there is no story. People are motivated to loss aversion. Emphasizing potential loss is more than just good storytelling. It's good behavioral economics. So then he talks about this study that identified this thing called prospect theory. Have you ever heard of this? Yes, I'm I'm like I'm sitting here trying not to bubble over with excitement. Um just like you were talking about with your interviews because I'm a like 
I'm a huge fan of behavioral economics and like and I'm like oh my god is he get is is he gonna talk talk about Daniel Kahneman and almost Tversky like yes yeah, that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly what he talks about yes is it the study where it's like would you rather have a 50 percent chance of losing a hundred dollars or a 50 percent chance of winning a thousand dollars or no not losing a hundred dollars right and then yeah. most people will pick not losing a hundred dollars that's exactly what he talks behavioral about behavioral economics amazing okay Yes. Okay. So how does it talk about, what does it mean in a story brand context? Okay. So this is all new to me because unlike Michelle, I don't study behavioral economics in my free time, but that's cool that you do. Um, (laughs) So this theory exactly um, by the author Michelle was just talking about, it's called prospect theory. And it argues that people are more likely to be dissatisfied with a loss than they are satisfied with a gain. So people hate losing a hundred dollars more than they like winning a hundred dollars so loss aversion is a that's so wild by the way i've just never thought about it before it's not something i've ever considered you know actually this came up for us this week because and and actually so i wrote a little like blog post about this a couple of years ago um on this on this topic so we have people like signing up for for our site and we have a free tier yeah. Um, and we will occasionally see like people creating multiple accounts and abusing the free tier. And so for a period of time to prevent this, we had everybody had to um, verify their email before they could process a file. But then that, first of all, it, it incredibly like decreased conversions and made things more complicated for um, for, for legitimate users. Actually, I think it, what it did was like there was like a maximum of like five accounts per IP address and then it had to be manually overwritten. So how it worked with a signup a couple of years ago was that in order to to prevent all of these um, sort of abusive signups, we would have a limit of five accounts per IP address. Um and then if they needed more than that, then there was a manual override we had to do. But the problem was, is like people would be like in a class, for example, like so the Red Cross uses us in their disaster relief trainings or a lot of professors use us in their GIS classes. And so then they would be like, oh, we're getting blocked from signing up. And so we would have to go in and like try to do this. And like so it was actually hurting these legitimate users or people we wanted signing up. And so we realized we were spending more time thinking about how to prevent these abusive signups than we were on like growth and like new customer acquisition. And, but really like, cause it hurts like when people are abusing a free tier in this very visceral way. And we just saw this again in the past week too, where last week we had someone create like 75 accounts all within the same day. But then we looked and we're like, okay, are they doing it automated? Like, are, are like how is this happening and this person was like literally like manually going in and creating these accounts every five minutes and i was like well they spent like a solid 15 hours doing this and their time is not valuable enough to pay us the 25 dollars it would have been like should we really go in right now and spend hours of work on trying to prevent this from happening when this person wouldn't even have paid us um in the first place um though actually then a a day later it turns out we do have to prioritize this work because this person was using fake email accounts and they were doing it over several days and we're sending a welcome email (laughs) we're going full circle in this episode um (laughs) we were sending a welcome email to all of those fake email accounts and it caused our bounce rate to go way up so then we got a warning from intercom saying you you know 
your bounce rate is really high and you need to get it down. Otherwise you might get shut off from email. So now we actually have to prioritize this work, but like that's something that that loss aversion uh, principle is something that we talk about often when it comes to free tier users and like how aggressive do we want to be in preventing someone from getting $5, $25 worth of free usage versus spending those, you know, five, six hours of time it would take to work on that for something that could get us thousands of dollars in new customers. It's an easy trap to fall into. And and I think knowing about that study is is so helpful because I can see that pattern of because it's a natural pattern of thinking. You know, you're perfectly normal for for thinking that way. Um, and so so recognizing that pattern and then not falling into it. Um, it's it's hard, but it's necessary. Yeah, I was fascinated because I have, like I said, I had not been introduced to this idea before. So I thought it was really interesting. So the author of the book talks about creating a four-step process, which he calls a fear appeal. Now, to his credit, he does talk earlier in the chapter about how you don't want to fear monger. You're not trying to terrify or create a false sense of fear. You're just trying to show your potential customer what they're going to lose if they choose not to go with you. So the four-step process is one, make the reader know they are vulnerable to a threat. Two, since they are vulnerable, they should take action to reduce their vulnerability. Three, let them know about a specific call to action that protects them from risk. And four, challenge them to take this specific action. And he doesn't, I mean, he says, again, not a lot of fear, just a quote, pinch of salt was the way he described it. So you need to look at what are you helping your customers avoid? So my list that I made, what am I helping my customers avoid? So what is the opportunity cost of not working with me? For what I have built, I think it's a tremendous amount of time wasted You won't lose your files because I have backup storage. When most people create their AWS accounts in their S3 buckets, they don't create a backup service. You won't lose users because of your crappy interface. And that's all I got. I think that time one is a big one. I still think the time one is a big one. I should add something about the direct uploads because my files don't touch your server. Because, you know, sometimes if you don't use direct uploads, you go from the, the browser to your server, your server to your cloud storage provider, and I go right to your cloud storage provider. So not having to write that architecture is, again, though, really that's a time thing. Really, that's just going back to ease of use. Yeah, I think time saving is your big loss that people might experience if they don't use your service. Yeah, I agree. I think think time saving as well. So that was that chapter. That's what I read this week. Well, I guess that's a good time for us to end this week. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. Huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become software socialites and support our show. Chris from Chipper CI, the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Gently Used Domains, who has a nice personality. Dave from Recut, Max of Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andrade of Brightbits, Team Tuple, Alex Hillman from the Tiny MBA, Rami from Hovercode and Rocket Gems. Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of Crowd Sentry, Nate Ritter of Roomsteals, Anna Mast of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from Outsetta, Justin Jackson, Mega Maker, 
Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh the Annoyingly Pragmatic Founder, Ben from Consent Kit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Nusi Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Callie of Toslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lana and Alex from Recapsi, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from Applenet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of Works Cited, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, Larabels, a community for Larabel developers underrepresented due to their gender, Brendan from Feederloop, Pascal from Sharpen.page, Lynn Romick from Convini, Arvid Call, James Sowers from Castaway.fm, Jessica Malnick, Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker, Eldon from Nodal Studios, Mitchell Davis from RecruitKit.